0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Crodi coming to you from the Coming Home Network International on EWTN Radio. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is David Curry. He was our guest Monday night on the Journey Home program on EWTN, and as we're able to do in Deep in Scripture, now a couple days later, is we're on Monday night, we talk about a variety of issues dealing with his journey into the church, but... Uh, this allows us a little more expanded time to allow our guests to dig into Scripture, to get a little bit deeper in Scripture. And those of you maybe who are new to the program, I suppose the, the particular angle we take on this program is to be deep in Scripture, to be deep in Christ, requires that we be deep in the teacher that our Lord gave us, which is his church. That the study of Scripture alone apart from sacred tradition and the church that Christ gave within and through whom we receive the sacred word, then we're always in danger, apart from that, of maybe not understanding what God intended us to understand in Scripture. And David, given the Scriptures you chose today, that is true in spades.
1: Absolutely. We're going to be talking about Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and uh, there's not a Catholic versus a Protestant view on these two chapters. There's just dozens, dozens of Protestant views. Yeah, and
0: in fact, the view that you held as a Baptist Bible Christian was radically different than the the, the view I held as an evangelical Presbyterian.
1: Absolutely. Yes, we would have totally disagreed with each other on this passage. If we had
0: been at seminary together.
1: We would have been at loggerheads. We may
0: not have shared a meal together. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally
1: remember
0: <laughs> battles that I had with folk at seminary over, over pre-trib, ah-trib, post-trib.
1: Right, because you would have been ah-trib or ah-mil, yeah. Yeah. And, right. and I would have been firmly pre-millennial, pre-tribulational.
0: And... Yeah, and well, and even amongst my Calvinist group of folk, one of which was Scott Hahn, we were sometimes battling over the. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, the interpretation of prophecy of in the, the end Bible times. and how it applies to our lives now and in the future. Mm-hmm. And how do you apply them? Do you do you worry about them? Do you uh, just say, "Well, that's way in the future. I don't. It's, it's not going to touch my life." Or do you live your life? as if it's going to happen in the next week, and I've got to be ready. That was closer to where
1: you were. Yeah, we were much closer to, is it, is it worth it to finish seminary, <laughs> or should we just get out onto the mission field? Go to a, My, a Moody Bible Institute, for example, get a three-year associate's degree, forget about the BA, forget about the MDiv, and just get out there and tell people. Because I was in seminary in the 70s. And uh, we believed that the timetable was going to wrap up by 88, 40 years after uh, Israel was founded in 1948. So, yeah. 40 years later, 1988. So, we saw the clock is ticking down. And I've talked to other people that have come into the church, like Carl's, yeah. and uh, struggled with the same thing. Yep. Oh, um, yeah. How much time is left, and is it worth it for me to get this, you know, couple letters after my name when people are going to? die and go into the tribulation yeah, there
0: were people um have been people that we've both known who you know there's no reason to go to college in fact there's no reason to get married
1: mm-hmm. don't have kids for Pete's sake yeah because if they don't accept Jesus before Jesus comes they're going to be here in the tribulation alone without me and having to suffer through those seven horrible years
0: and you can't take it with you And there's no use putting it into a Roth IRA. That's right. (laughs) So
1: might as well spend it now. Yeah, I I know people that sold their house, um, decided that two kids was all that they were going to have, and just went full bore to try to get the news out. Well, just in case you don't know, our our guest
0: David Curry, who's a research associate of the Saint Paul Center for Biblical Theology, is a popular Catholic author, lecturer, retreat leader. Uh, the book that many of you know him for, it was his 1996 book, Born Fundamentalist, Born Again Catholic by Ignatius Press, which tells the story of his conversion along with his wife, Colleen. Um, and <clears throat> he also wrote a book, Rapture, The End Times Era That Leaves the Bible Behind by Sophia Press 2003. And that's kind of the topic we're looking at today mm-hmm. with the the choice of these um, books, uh, these verses. Curry is Written widely in the Catholic press, has several popular tape series distributed by St. Joseph Communications, including Rapture, Ruse, or Reality. Again, some of the stuff we're looking at today might be in there. Mm-hmm. Definitely, they, yes. Curry and his—David uh, and his wife, Colleen, live in Chicago with five of their eight children. Their oldest is now married, and their next two are attending university. And a messa. how many grandkids now?
1: We've got—we f- just had our fifth grandchild. Yes. <laughs> Congrats.
0: <laughs> Congratulations. So— uh, we're choosing two whole chapters, Matthew yeah. 24 and 25.
1: I chose two verses, to be honest. Let's be honest with our, <laughs> with our audience here. I chose chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, and, and then as we got talking about it just before the show, we decided you know we need to put that into context.
0: That really is important. I've emphasized from the beginning of Deep in Scripture that if you want to make sure a verse, especially difficult ones like the ones we're looking at, If you want to make sure you're interpreting it correctly, you've got to look at it into the entire context, not merely the adjacent verses or the chapter or its comparison with other verses or the whole book or the New Testament or the Old Testament or the whole Bible, which is what Westminster Confession said. That's all you need to do, verse against verse. But in the context of all the deposit of faith Christ gave his sacred tradition, the history of the church, the teaching of the church, the magisterium, to make sure that... I mean, Dave, I know you're not the problem with this, but is yeah, it possible to be blinded by your own prejudices?
1: Absolutely, and that's one of the beauties of being um, a, a Catholic, because we, we put the whole Bible in its context. We are all children of our own age. You know, yeah. We were all born into a specific historical milieu and a specific um, cultural setting and we're blind to that many times until somebody brings it to our attention. We can't see our own blind spots. And the beauty, as you and I both have talked before about being Catholic, is we have this 2,000 year history into which to put the, the Bible and keep it in the proper context and to check ourselves as we're reading the Bible and check ourselves against the fathers and check ourselves against the tradition and check ourselves against the magisterium and and it's just a beautiful gift it's not it's not constraining at all it's freeing yeah the the
0: danger of not having the spirit-led church who's recognizes that its responsibility is guarding the deposit that's what it says Mm -hmm. first line of the catechism guarding the deposit because that's what Jesus said the Spirit was coming for in John f- chapter 14, 15, and 16. That apart from that, you never know when you're on your own trying to interpret whether blindly you have locked yourself into a particular theology that was influenced by a time and place like Mormons, Jehovah Witness or the Schofield Bible folk that really pushed the
1: rapture. That's mm-hmm. really where it kind of got That was the milieu I was born into. Right. And I know you've talked about the milieu that you yeah. preach from, and it's, it's a very frightening thing when you wake up one day and you realize, am I preaching God's word? Am I preaching the truth as it really is? Or am I preaching some version of it that I can't substantiate? You know, uh, And the
0: people in the pews are listening to you, David, and figured you've done the homework. I can trust you as our leader. This is what you say the Bible means. It might be different than what the pastor down the church is saying, but he's obviously got wrong because you are leader of this church. Of this church have got it right. Let me read those first couple passages to get us started, but then you want to make sure we hear it in the full context of the book of Matthew at least. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the bu- the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down.
1: That's a pretty rash statement. If it wasn't Jesus saying it, we'd say it was rash. Um, and let me put it into the historical context, and then we'll get into the context of the, of the passage. Uh, at this point, the temple in Jerusalem is at the peak of its power. Uh, they had won concessions from the Roman uh, government that no other minority within Rome had been able to win. For example, Rome was celebrating, well, observing an eight-day week. The Jews observed a seven-day week. Yet Jewish employees were Given the privilege of keeping their Sabbath every seventh day. Hmm. Now imagine what that would have been if you owned a business and you had a Jewish worker, and <laughs> one day he wants Monday off, the next week he wants Tuesday off, the next week he wants Wednesday off, because your weeks aren't coinciding. But this was, this, they were at the peak of their power. Hmm. Um, Rome was, you could almost say, intimidated slightly by this temple, this ancient temple. They, 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 they viewed ancient things very, very highly. And at the, at the pinnacle of the power, Jesus says, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. The whole thing is going to be, be a, a pile of rubble. It, it was an amazing statement. And um, now to put it into the context of the of the, so that's the historical context. Um, and by the way, that when we get all done here, Marcus, I think you know where we're going. But let me let everybody know what I saw in this passage that really fascinated me is the tension between the disciples as they saw something solid, mm-hmm. and Jesus as He's saying, "My words are more solid than those stones." Now, those stones are huge; you can yeah. still see the foundation see, yeah, stones, right. um, and and they're impossible for a hundred men to pick up. And Jesus is saying, my words are more stable, more permanent, more real, if you will, than those stones. And that just goes against everything that in our 20th century, 21st century materialistic mindset, we just don't, that just is, is against us, you know? Give me something solid. Give me, uh, you know, a piece of property. Give me a bank account. Give me something I can put my hands on. And Jesus is saying, "My words. My words are more real, more permanent than that." And it goes all throughout the passage. We'll get into that in a little bit. But um, and it's it's very interesting when you think that you know what was the most important word to Jesus? It was almost a whisper. <laughs> Yahweh. No consonants, Yahweh. That is more permanent than the building we're sitting in. Mm-hmm. So that tension runs all throughout the passage. But right. so that, uh, as Jesus starts, to, the the disciples look at the the building and say, "Isn't this wonderful?" Jesus. Jesus says, "No, my words are more permanent than that." And then, in the, if we follow the the scheme that Saint Augustine laid out for this passage, which I think is always a good place at least to start and probably (laughs) to end, Um, but there's two, Jesus goes and answers two questions. The first question is up until verse 35. And in that part, he's answering the question of when will this happen? When will one stone no longer be on another stone at the temple? Because that's one of the questions that Jesus, Jesus asked him. What's the signs? that this is going to happen. In fact, it says in verse 3 that his disciples
0: came to him privately asking that. In other words, it wasn't in that public setting that they... Right. They They didn't question
1: Jesus. They said, hey, wait a minute, teacher. I don't agree with that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They went, as was their their due, as was their, their habit, they went and said, you know, when is this going to happen? And so Jesus answers that first question. When is the temple going to be destroyed? And he gives all kinds of signs. He gives. There's going to be wars, and there's going to be famines, and there's going to be earthquakes, uh, and these things all happened in that first century. And that's really
0: important for the audience to hear, because as I mentioned to you and put that question to you Monday night on Journey Home, is that at least at the first stage, biblical prophecy, old and new, was fulfilled on a day and an event that the majority of Christians are oblivious
1: to. Right, Jesus gives us the timeline for this. In fact, and, you know, and we go to verse 35, um, uh, or for 34 and 35, he says, after describing all these events, the discussion of the temple, he says, I say this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. Now, whenever Jesus anywhere else in the gospel talks about this generation, and he does quite often talk about this generation, right. he's always referring to the, de- the generation in which he is living so if we take this from what jesus obviously means every other time he's saying that within 40 years maybe 50 at the max all the things that he's described up to this point with the destruction of the temple would occur he's saying that in the midst of the the temple being at the pinnacle of its power but he says just one generation later all of these things are going to happen
0: now wait a second dave when I was a Protestant minister, the way I interpreted that passage was that all these things will happen within the generation of the end times. Do you remember that yes, argument?
1: Oh, that exactly. That's that's exactly how how Schofield interpreted these, and the reason was because they didn't they didn't they didn't put any importance on seventy A.D. Yep. So th- they, it seemed to them that Jesus had broken his promise. In
0: right. fact,
1: you know, there's very prominent. Uh, atheists that use this passage to, to undermine people's faith and say, see, Jesus said all this stuff was going to happen and it didn't happen, so he wasn't really God. Yeah. But if you, if you understand that Jesus is using Old Testament language, Old Testament apocalyptic language to describe political events, then you understand that the, 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 the things that he describes here really did occur. So that when he, for example, says that the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, that's a very common um, major prophet from the four major prophets, very common language for a political dynasty change. So the the sun and the stars and the moon would fail. It was was talked about in um, the prophecy about Babylon falling that the moon would, would, would not give its light, the sun would fall. In other words, the Babylonian dynasty would fall to Cyrus the Great. And we find that in the Old Testament. And Jesus is using that here, a very similar situation where the dynasty of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish you know, political powers, would lose their, would lose their, their uh, place in history. So when we, when we see how he's using language like in the Old Testament, we see that all of this did happen within that generation. At the same time, if you also look, if you go back to the tension that we have in the passage. He's talking about very physical things that are being disrupted. For example, society will be disrupted by wars, the political structure, the the very earth we stand on will be disrupted by earthquakes, um, the very food supply. You know, the very thing that we depend on every day will be disrupted by famine. But while all of this disruption of what we consider to be so solid is happening, he says, but the good news of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, will be preached throughout the whole world. So we see this same tension of what we consider solid giving way, not being permanent, not being reliable, but the good news, the message the sayings of Jesus, the the uh, the gospel being preached throughout the whole world. So there's this interesting tension that I, that I find so fascinating. Which also tells us
0: why, when you look at the time period that the oral tradition was being recorded, in other words, what we believe, for example, about the book of Matthew is that you know, Jesus taught the twelve, who hand pointed their own successors, and it was passed on. Mm-hmm. Bishops were appointed in there. We know it in in the letters of Paul, Peter, and James, Titus. The, the laying Timothy. on of
1: consecrated hands,
0: and that the gospel message and the truth was passed on through the preaching and the teaching, occasionally by letter, but they were to hold true to the tradition. Tradition, whether it was passed on orally or written, Second right. Thessalonians 2. Right. It's passed on, and it goes at least 5, 10, 15 years. We don't have any records of when it was written down, but we believe that Matthew, we believe that one of the apostles, finally, for whatever motive it was, we don't know his motive. Mm-hmm. We know
1: Luke's, we don't know right. Matthew. Luke tells us his. Yeah, but
0: Matthew doesn't. He puts it down on paper, and we believe that he put it down in Hebrew or American first.
1: Yeah, exactly, probably Aramaic or Hebrew.
0: And then it was eventually translated into Greek, Mm -hmm. and that's what we have. All of this then happening before the fall of Jerusalem in 70, but after the time that Jesus really said it. And my point is, within that generation, in the middle of it, as they're experiencing the very things that he's talking about. And so there's a sense of which, in verse 35, when he gives them the message of what you're saying, David, is he's giving them hope to get them through this horrendous experience.
1: Exactly. If you think it's hard to be a Catholic right now, imagine being a Catholic in 64 AD, when they were doing their very best to hunt you down and put you in the Colosseum with lions.
0: See, we when we go through rough times, we say the church has been has held through for two thousand years. We've got the long list of right. saints and martyrs and and the and the the popes and the priests and the bishops and the laity. We okay, I'll stick it out because I know it's true because of John of the Cross and Trees, they were the first generation.
1: That's right. They had twenty years, thirty years, forty
0: years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how many times over a cup of coffee or whatever their favorite drink was in those days they are you sure we bought into the right thing
1: here, John? How sure are you that you saw the resurrected Christ?
0: This transfiguration thing, Peter. I mean, come on now. You know, I mean, this was the, the generation of all this stuff. As what's his name wrote about the great generation after World yes, War II. Yes, uh,
1: this was really the great generation. <laughs> That's right. It really was, and they didn't have, as you say, the whole history of of. Saints and and churches and things going wrong and God you know resurrecting the church up from the ashes at at times in history, um, but yes I think that's exactly why this this teaching of Christ was saved, because as you're going through that you're saying okay Jesus said that we we're going to have tribulations, Jesus said that you know even my relatives would turn me over to the to the uh, Authorities. Jesus said that there would be earthquakes. Jesus said that there would be wars, that civil society would break apart, and that that all of this was okay. That, in, in, in fact, on top of
0: all of the Old Testament prophecies you've heard, they're coming true in your generation. Right now, yes. And, and, and he's saying, stick it out. I'm telling you ahead of time, but I'm telling you that my word is going to get you through this. how many generations later you and i sit here
1: yes i don't know how many generations but it's a long (laughs) it's it's a phenomenal uh, passage because of that because of what jesus is promising here um and he's he's trying to inoculate them against false teachers and uh, against false uh uh, armed conflict and all different kinds of things that must have been a temptation to those early uh jewish christians and early gentile christians To to, which to many
0: of them at the time couldn't imagine that it was going to happen that this whole thing would fall,
1: it, even uh, three, four years before the temple fall fell, no one thought it would fall. Um, you know, when you look at how Jerusalem was fortified, it had enough food inside the gates to feed itself and a water supply for forty years how can you con- i mean they didn't have atom bombs they didn't have airplanes that could drop bombs how do you conquer a city that has food inside of it for 40 days and impenetrable walls um and what ended up happening is there were three factions of jews inside the the gate that burned each other's food supplies <laughs> yeah. and we're not making this up this is this is josephus or philo I've- josephus wrote it all down yep. he was a general in the jewish army He was by no means a friend of the Christian. Uh, He was not a Christian, but much of what he says uh, backs up what Jesus said would happen. So So we can look at the New Testament as a predictive element, and then we look at Josephus who wrote a history afterwards, and we see that he's describing it in ways that exactly fulfill what Jesus had said would happen. All right. So again, the point of what you're saying so far, and we're going to take a break and come back a little bit. It really is that
0: the underlying key to this is that in the midst of whatever trial you're going to face, and you are going to face it, Jesus is saying, my word. My word is more permanent than anything else you can put your hands on. All right. Thank you. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody, joined today by David Curry, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your Global Catholic Radio Network. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for Wings, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the Wings link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your Wings today.
1: Hi, this is Jerry Usher reminding you to listen to Vocation Boom Radio, Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern, exclusively on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Each week I bring you dynamic interviews with bishops, priests, vocation directors, even seminarians and those who support them, all in an effort to assist the Holy Spirit in what is truly a vocation boom around the world. That's Vocation Boom Radio, Saturdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, only on EWTN Radio. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grody's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family
0: and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110.
1: Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time.
0: Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Mark Scrode. I joined today by David Curry, former Bible Church missionary. We're looking at Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And as we just pointed out, these are far more important than you may have previously imagined because um, they're witnesses to Jesus' preparing his disciples. For the rough times ahead reminding though that the whole earth may pass away through it all his word
1: they need to trust in his word and this is
0: before the resurrection
1: yes this is before the resurrection before the passion before the resurrection um and jesus is saying my word is what's going to stand yep. okay now, um, there, Saint Augustine split this passage into two. Said that Jesus was really answering two questions. When he finished answering the first one, which is when is the temple going to be going to be gone, then the second question is when is the end of time going to happen? And uh, we can make that line pretty easily in verse thirty-five and thirty-six between those two verses. And if you if you listen to the two, let me read a couple of those verses and <coughs> listen for the the change of tone. There's been this long description about wars and famines and earthquakes and tribulation and horrible things and and building up to this crescendo that leads to the fall of the temple where the stones aren't standing on one another. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. We know that that's true. Um, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's the tension. The temple's going to pass away. Everything you know is going to pass away, but my words are going to be here permanently, forever. And then listen to this change of, 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 t- uh, t- uh, of, of question. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So all of a sudden, he's going from all these signs. He's saying, look at these signs. We're, g- we're building up to a crescendo, and it's going to happen within a generation. You can count on this, I promise you. My words will come true. And then he backs off and says, but of that hour, the final hour, even the son doesn't know. So don't don't look for a whole bunch of signs. And then he starts to, to – And I will say that the point you're making here,
0: David, is this is not just something you've come up with, but this goes all the way back to St. Augustine Yes, in and, the
1: fourth century. Right, and St. Augustine didn't make it up. I mean, yep. he, he was giving <laughs> us – What was of, the understood view amongst yes. the early church fathers uh, of his day, St. Exactly. Ambrose and yes. – right. Exactly. So, um, and he's saying, okay, now the final hours are going to be more like the days of Noah. Now, what was the days of Noah like? Most people were just living normal everyday lives. There was no earthquakes. There was nothing. Noah was preaching about a coming judgment, and he was being laughed at by everyone. So that's what the final days are going to be like, pretty much normal life. So if you're living a normal life, like kids are coming, and you're eating, and you're drinking, and you're his are getting married, and you're going to weddings, that is a sign that it could happen. Hmm. Normal life is when the final end can happen. And then there's this verse that, that has gotten so misconstrued that we need to look oh, at it. The, the, the key yes. rapture text uh, that the rapturists right. have jumped It says, on. two men will be in the field, one is taken, and one is left behind. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one is taken and one is left behind. Now you're following in your Bible there, so you right. probably are saying, wait a minute, Dave, you added a, ver- a word in there. I was there. just about ready to ask you that very thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's how we hear that verse, even though that's not what the Bible says. Now if, you, if you're listening in the, in the car, you may not have the Bible in front of you, so let me read to you what the verse really says. It says, um, two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one will be left. There's nothing about being left behind. There is no history that occurs after this event. One will be taken into the kingdom, into eternal life, and the other one will be left out. Uh, Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and one will be left. But there's no being left behind because there's nothing to be left behind to but we've bought into that i mean we hear that left behind in that verse even though it's not there don't we <laughs> yeah. if you're not following in the bible you'll you'll miss the fact that the behind is not in there it's not in there and yeah. the context which was in the verse
0: ahead so will be the coming of the son of man that's the, the final the, the final context. time. yes and it's either you're going to be in the kingdom or you're not
1: that's the point yes and what would be would have been what would have been so shocking to the, to the Jewish disciples at, that, at the, when this teaching was given was that the two men were together to begin with. Hmm. Or that the two women were friends to be grinding grain together. Why? Hmm. Because God's people, the Jews, did not grind grain with Gentiles. <laughs> God's people didn't work in the field with Gentile people. So what was so amazing isn't that one is taken into the kingdom and one is left, but that they knew each other before they were taken into the king and kingdom. So that um, what Jesus is saying here is is that his kingdom will be spread out like yeast through a loaf. His kingdom will be permeating all of society. And there will be some people in the kingdom in society, and there will be some people not. And we won't know until the end, as he gives in other parables, until the very end who the good fish are and who the bad fish are or who the, who the wheat is and who the weeds are. That we'll find out at the final judgment but in the meantime we're going to be grinding grain together. We're going to be working in the field together. Which would have been a radical, prophetic look into the future
0: that would not even begin to be realized for ten years or more after he said those words.
1: And much of it happening with, with St. Paul's and, missionary and Peter, work. Yeah. Paul and Peter.
0: You yeah. know, all of a sudden, then you have the in the Jerusalem Council, the next 15, when they finally decide.
1: You don't have to be Jewish to be Christian. That was radically new. Right. But Jesus is is looking ahead to that. And says, this is what my kingdom is going to be like. And when it all ends, when one is taken and one is left, at the final eschaton, at the final judgment, you'll look at those two women grinding wheat and just by looking at them, working together, you won't be able to say, well, this one has darker skin, that one has lighter skin, so that darker skin one is Jewish, so she's going to... You can't do any of that. There's not going to be any distinction. There's no distinction. no yep. distinction. It's all inward. It's all inward. Um, then Jesus goes on and says, okay, so you're not, you don't know what hour, you don't know what day. Life is going to be normal when I come back. So let me give you three parables to sort of plan for it okay and the first one is the wise servant that does what he's told even though jesus or the the master is delayed you know there's some people that say that the first century apostles all believed that jesus was going to come and end the world within the generation but it's not in scripture that's not that's not matthew when he wrote this he understood that jesus saying it's going to be longer than you think it's going to be and in case you missed it there, in the second parable, it's about the ten uh, maidens. Five wise, five foolish, the five wise bring extra oil. Why did they need the extra oil? Because it was a longer time before the bridegroom came than they could have imagined. You know. So once again, we see Jesus saying, it's not going to be real fast. It's not, I'm not going to come maybe as quickly as you think. So be prepared every day, but also be prepared in case it doesn't happen today. And then the third one uh, is, is again, uh, we're each given talents, one talent, five talents, or ten talents. And if you look at verse 19 of chapter 25, it says, after a long time, the master comes back. <laughs> so once again, what is Jesus preparing them for? Well, this destruction of the temple is going to happen within a generation, but it's going to be a long time, and people are going to run out of oil. <laughs> And, and people are going to doubt that I'm coming back and start to live in an evil way. But it, I am going to come back. And then in the very last story that he gives us is the one For his second coming. For his second coming. Yeah, in the generation,
0: exactly. that's going to happen right now. And the parallels, the already not yet, which is a theology on how to deal with the fulfillment of prophecy where you can see it's fulfillment now but it still has meaning for the future. So the prophecies are fulfilled in the fall of Jerusalem, but some of those same prophecies still do point to the future. Exactly. But he's giving them these examples which they themselves need to see themselves through so that they themselves can be a witness to all the generations after them that will be awaiting the second coming, who will all in the future be worrying whether the Word of Christ can get them through the future tough stuff. Exactly. So it's kind of an already, not yet. The already will be the present generation facing those turmoil, and how they trust the Word will be the witness to the people in the future, waiting this long wait to the second coming.
1: Exactly. So up until verse 35, the primary focus of that is something that's going to happen within a generation, that the temple's going to be destroyed. After 36, it's the future. But that doesn't mean that everything before verse 35 can't also apply to the end of the world. In other words, the event itself of the Jerusalem destruction, not just the passage, but even the event becomes a prophetic. Mm -hmm. A Uh, type, in that sense. Yeah, St. Thomas said that, you know, we write with words, but God writes in history like we write with words, Mm -hmm. so that even the events itself become a type of the future, and Uh, this whole tension between what's really permanent and you know is it the stones of the temple or is it the words how do we know that what Jesus predicted about the end of the world will come true well one way that we know now the spirit you know confesses within my my heart that is true but one way we know is that he was absolutely right about the 70, to, 70 uh, yeah. AD destruction of, of Jerusalem. So we can look at the 70 AD and say he was absolute. the church was absolutely correct. And yeah. as a result of that, not one Christian died in Jerusalem. Because when they saw, as it says in Luke, when they saw the armies surrounding Jerusalem, they did not go back to their house to pick up their garments. The, the early church leadership said, now is the time that Jesus predicted. They got out of Jerusalem, and they went to Pella, and they were safe. Now, And uh, Josephus and, and uh, Eusebius tell us that not one single Christian died in 70 AD in the war because they'd all gone. You know, it's interesting that apart from understanding
0: the connection with the fall of Jerusalem, you either have to end up with saying that none of the prophecies of Jesus have yet been fulfilled or that some of them he seems to have missed it mm-hmm. he seems to have been wrong so you have to kind of like i said before you know the generation he's talking about is merely the generation of whenever the end times
1: <laughs> is which is meaningless who, who cares about
0: that yeah in other words from the that's why we get 1988 right. in other words that when the establishment of israel was on a
1: certain day in 1948
0: then that generation has to be the generation for it
1: to happen which is why hal lindsey says that the that the rapture had to occur by 1988 now if you listen to him now how do they get around that they say, well, with medical advances, a generation is no longer 40. <laughs> I, was, I
0: forgot that. Yeah, yeah there we is go. No yeah. longer 40 yeah.
1: years. So a, a generation might be 70 years now. So that gives them until 2018. But okay. that's why in 2008 there was sort of, well, is a generation 60 years? Well, that would be 2008. So there was not sort of an uptick in interest in this. Um, now when we get closer to 2018, we'll get another uptick because it's 70 years. Maybe by then medical science will make a generation eighty years. You know, I'm not sure, but um, they're giving themselves lots of out clauses yes, yeah, there's- so that.
0: They figure, well, you know, I'll be gone anyway. Yeah, and I don't want to make fun of them. Yeah, they're sincere folk. We know that. But still, there's the danger of private interpretation. Let's take one more break, David. I don't mean to to break the flow. Let's take our last break. We'll come back because there's still a lot that you want us to look at, which is a very important context of this scripture. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody, joined today by David Curry, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. org or contact us at one 800 664 welcome back to deep in scripture this is marcus grodi our guest today david curry we're right in the middle of a lot of good stuff in matthew chapter 24 and 25 david
1: well marcus uh, 11 minutes, we'll get done what we need to get done here. Um, this is a, a fun passage. What we're trying to tease out of here is the, the perspective that Jesus l- looked with the disciples at this permanent structure, you know, this indestructible temple made with stones that no one could move, and he's saying that is not as permanent as the words I'm saying to you. The, the, the simple teaching about what truth is is more permanent than that is. You know, and we saw how the, you know he he juxtaposes the gospel with earthquakes, wars, famines, and even the moon, stars, and sun. You know, not giving any light, and he says that's all going to pass away. But my words will not pass away. That that tension between what we see as reality and what Jesus sees as reality, and which is more more permanent, and the whole passage, and then he gives these three examples, and well, as we saw last time, it's sort of, it's going to be a lot longer than you think it's going to be before the final uh, eschaton. And then we get into the passage that as Catholics, we know this passage really well. But as you and I were talking on the break, as Protestants, and I think maybe you would agree with this even as a Protestant, even though you weren't a dispensationalist, we sort of looked at from 31 on as sort of something that maybe didn't Totally applied to, to Christians. Well,
0: it really wasn't sure how to fit the sheep and the goat parable into my evangelical Calvinist understanding of once saved, always saved, saved totally by grace, not and by works. Not by works, exactly. Not by works.
1: Because what Jesus says here, and, and our Catholics are going to be real familiar with this, is a sheep and the goats, and he separates them and he says to the sheep, You know, you enter into eternal life because you fed me when I was hungry, because you visited me when I was in prison, and he goes through, you clothed me when I was naked. And they say, when when did we see that? You know, we don't remember that. So what's interesting, first of all, these are sheep that didn't see Jesus personally. He's assuming that there's more generations after the disciples. So, you know, these people that are saying, oh, within a generation, Jesus believed everything was gonna to come to a close. No, it doesn't fit his teaching. And, and then there's the goats, and Jesus says, you didn't feed me, you didn't clothe me, you didn't visit me. And they say, we don't remember ever seeing you, Jesus. He said, you didn't do it to the least of mine, so you didn't do it to me. And we're, we're separated for all eternity based on what we did. Yeah. You know, getting into heaven isn't going to be um, you know, like a quiz show on TV. You know? <laughs> uh, you know, why should I let you into my heaven? And you get the right answer, and Jesus opens the gate. And if you, if he says, "Why should I let you in my heaven?" And you don't say, "Because I trusted totally in the, in your work on the cross," then you don't get into heaven. Um, but it's based and what on what you're
0: quoting is a particular evangelization program. Yes, exactly, <laughs> which will go unnamed. Yes, yes, yes. yes.
1: Um, but the eternal punishment and eternal life that the that the chapter ends with is based on how we respond to the gospel, what we become what we become through the grace of God and through our cooperation with the grace of God in our daily life and what kind of people we become. Um, But to go back to that, what we were trying to tease out, what's interesting in these last parable or this last teaching is it starts out with, in verse 34, then the king will say. We're after, Mm -hmm. everything else is gone. Everything else is gone. The temple's gone, but not only the temple, the world as we know it is gone. And all that's left is the king standing in judgment, saying something. <laughs> and it's this tension that I saw uh, just recently through this whole passage that I had never never quite picked up before. Uh, the, the difference be- in perspective. What's really permanent? The sayings? Those little whispers of the Holy Spirit that you get? Yep. The, the, the uh inaudible or whispering name of God, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh is more real than
0: the table that we're sitting at. And and the perspective you bring with it is really an important point because if you if you don't understand the church as being established by Christ, through into which we become members through baptism and that the church was intended from the first days and that therefore Jesus was speaking about the salvation of the church through the destruction of Jerusalem in the early days. You don't see that. You have to come up with a different explanation so you come to the scripture with a different assumption, a presumption, out of which comes the rapture idea.
1: Exactly. And so, and, and so much of this passage doesn't even apply to us. The passage about the sheep and the goats is something that doesn't apply to anybody until after the rapture. Because you're coming to it with a, with a template, and it blocks out all kinds of scriptures. And you say, well, that's sheep and the goats thing, that's only for the people post Rapture.
0: I have to say this. I was listening to classic radio the other day, Fibber and McGee, one of my favorite old shows <laughs> from about 40 years ago. And there's these two husband and wife comedy team. And in the setting of that particular program, they were working at a, at a store taking re- returns. And they were told a woman was coming in to return some red flannel underwear, okay? So they're expecting that. Fibber leaves for a second to go outside Another woman, Mrs. Uppington, a real snobby woman, comes in to return a chair. When she comes in, then Fibber comes back. And as she describes the chair that she's returning, Fibber thinks she's talking about red flannel underwear. I mean, it's a great comedy routine. But that illustrates what we're talking about. If you come to it with one understanding, you can completely mispaint everything of the data Christ has given.
1: And that's what we were talking about at the beginning. We're all, we're all born into a milieu, yeah. um, the zeitgeist of our age. And we tend to be very materialistic and very enlightened and all this kind of thing. And the church, because of this, this deposit that it protects, can bring us out of the social and cultural milieu that we were born in, the, the blind spots that we don't, uh, we don't even pay attention to, and show it to us so that we can come to Scripture and see what, what Scripture really is teaching because we we have the guide of the magisterium and the tradition. Well, in your case, you were also going back to St. Augustine. Right, the tradition. Yeah. Was that
0: uh, his city of God where he deals with that, or was it his commentary on Matthew? I, I think it was his commentary on okay. Matthew, yeah. Okay, I was where. So what do we, where do we go? We've got three minutes here. What difference does it make in our life today? When are we do have right now a standing prophecy that on October 30, 21st, the world will end, right? Again,
1: yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and when – let me make a prediction here, uh, Marcus. Uh, when we wake up October 22nd, uh, it will not be the last prediction that comes down the pike. You know, as you and I have talked many times – These predictions started within almost 100 years of the death and passion and resurrection of of Christ um, with modernness in Asia Minor.
0: Was it because they were not satisfied that the fall of Jerusalem was the fulfillment of these passages?
1: Yes, possibly. Uh, You know, I I think some of it goes, and, and I don't want to be too hard on these people, I think some of it goes to pride. Sure. You know, and let's face it, it also is a great way to get a following. If you want to convince people that they need to follow you, tell them that everything they, they think about is in danger within a few years. And they yeah. will become very committed uh, if they buy into what you say. And we
0: end up with the James Jones phenomenon.
1: Exactly. All kinds of, you know, it's happened all throughout history where you get a charismatic leader, says this is the end, and people go up to the top of the mountain in white robes waiting, yeah. you know, as with Miller. So it's not a new phenomenon. And it's not, it, this isn't the last time it's going to happen. It will happen again. And uh, it's, it's probably happening already elsewhere. We just haven't heard about it. And it's not
0: just a Protestant phenomenon. We have Catholics that, because they don't like what's happening today or they don't like what's happening on ma- in the Mass, things have changed, that they're off running off to charismatic leaders. I don't mean charismatic with a capital C, but just very influential leaders they have an answer for him,
1: right? They're saying there's not enough places on the, you know, in, in the Vatican to put another picture of the Pope, you know, kind of a thing. So we've got to be close to the end, and uh, you know, I, I think the I think the, the, the Catholic view of it is that Christ could come back at any time. He could come back in our generation. In fact, as you and I talked about, he will come back yeah. in our generation for us. Yeah. You know, within moments of our death, we will have our particular judgment. But I think we also need to realize it may be another 10,000 years, maybe another 10. And just to even verbalize that, people go, oh, oh, my goodness. Well, yes, it could be another 10,000 years. America may not be here. Um, well, the the importance of that is
0: if we only believed he would come in our life, that's some, enough. When we know it will go on, that means, David, you got to leave a good church for your grandkids.
1: Exactly, exactly. You know, um, That's what it's about. We've, it's a— it's a here and now, and it's also a forever. And, and you know, my great, 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 great grandchildren who won't know my name depend on me to not mess it up too bad in my generation. <laughs> <laughs> and we can't just say it's somebody else's
0: job. That's right. It's, it's all us. of our job. We are, yes. We, we are the church.
1: Yes. We, it's all of our job. All right,
0: David. Dave, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Great pleasure. Uh, I always enjoy having you on the program and your. your especially because your research into these prophetic passages is very important. Thank you, David, and for your witness. And thank all of you for joining us on Deep in Scripture. I I do pray that this was an encouragement to you. God bless you. look forward to being with you again next week.